0: Hello and thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. Welcome back and uh, part two. Part two, yeah. If you uh, hopefully you listened to the episode before this, and I'm just gonna tell you if you haven't listened to the podcast episode that came before this. You don't want to listen to this one. You want to go back and listen to that one first because it is a continuation of what we were talking about last time. And so um, I'm going to now assume that everyone listening listened to that one. And so you uh, will recall that we left off where Pam's grandbaby had been experiencing some really difficult medical situation after being born where she was requiring um, extra oxygenation, basically. So pretty much... Life support. Um, life support. Yeah. Imagine it. It's kind of like a heart-lung machine really yes. mm-hmm. that uh, she was on and, and uh, Pam was really just dealing with the realities of that emotionally and spiritually and as a mom. Um, and so at the point that we left off, uh, dear baby Rosie was really struggling. She was still requiring um, the life support and now had developed an infection. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at now and Pam,
1: I'll just let you continue. Okay, so what's happening in the um, temporal world at this point, I had that moment, um, that profound moment with the Lord this Sunday, um, previous to a Wednesday, which I'll talk about in a second, but that Sunday is when I finally like, just dropped to my knees and gave Rosie to the Lord wholeheartedly. Um, again, Megan, you know, I, I've always been, Lord, if you want this, I want it too, and so this was my day of surrendering like utterly and totally to mm-hmm. his will, which I don't, I really hadn't completely, um, because I was confused about why this trauma would have happened in the first mm-hmm. place. And, you know, then again, God's permissive will. So, well, I'm curious, it's like, so in that process, which is basically the,
0: a deepening level of detachment of mm-hmm. a holy detachment that says, you know, I'm not going to cling to my idea about how things need to go and my, and this precious life. I'm not going to even cling to this life and to my desire yeah. for my daughter not to experience the suffering potentially of the loss of a child. So you, you're letting go of that. But generally, when we do come to that place of like a deepening detachment, there usually is kind of the the pain of the letting go. But then often there'll be a certain freedom that's experienced after. It's happened.
1: Can you kind of talk to that a little bit? I sure can. So at that moment when I just really gave her to the Lord and and it wasn't, you know, I don't want to say it was my action. I -hmm. really want to, I really want to, I feel like it was the Holy spirit, you know, really nudging me to say, give her completely to me and I will worry about Rosie. Mm -hmm. I want you to pray for your daughter. Okay. And so I had the shift from praying for Rosie and her health and goodness and wellness, which was good. But at that moment, I really felt the Holy Spirit say, give Rosie to me. You begin praying for your daughter. And I did exactly that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a shift. And there was definitely peace that came along with that. Like I had more peace about um, whatever God wanted. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it, it, it truly was my way of preparing for the possibility of her death. Right. Um, and it was hard, um, but there was that moment of relief as well to mm-hmm. handing her over to the Lord, which he many times since then kept saying, didn't I tell you to give him to me? Don't try and right. take her back. Right. Cause right. I did do that. Right. right, right. Well, um, I have a question for you. Cause one of the things
0: that I um, often will do in spiritual direction when I, you know, perceive that someone is, sh- has a lot of fear in a particular situation, I will invite them. Imagine the worst case scenario. Just speak it. Right. What is the worst case scenario? Allow yourself to speak it and to just really say what you're really afraid of. Right? Did you do that? Like in that moment, did just be like, as far as even if this happens,
1: right? I absolutely had to, you mm-hmm. know, after the talk, talk with my, my physician friend, and the, that was, you know, that Friday. And then here we're talking, maybe it was Saturday or Sunday when I was saying this prayer. And, and it was that complete, total surrender mm-hmm. that I need to be okay with the possibility of her death.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: yes, I did exactly that. Is mm-hmm. what's the worst case scenario? And that was her death. Mm-hmm. Was there
0: an and with that?
1: Would you not?
0: Because sometimes with that, it's not just. The death, but, and this will be, this will happen because of the death. Like, mm. oh, like it could be she would die and then my daughter would become completely embittered to the Lord. Oh, or, you know what no, I mean? Like I, di- I didn't,
1: I didn't let my mind run no, down you, that road. Just, t- I, okay. I did, you know, I did think about my thoughts turn to how to be a comfort to walk with him in the time of loss, mm-hmm. which, was an awful thought. I couldn't, I didn't want to go there. I knew that was a possibility, but I didn't let myself really entertain it until right. it was upon me. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah I just yeah. couldn't even. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah,
0: sometimes facing the suffering of someone that you love is even harder than so, dealing yeah.
1: with one's own suffering. Right. At that point, truly. Yeah. Truly, that's where I went. I shifted. Mm-hmm. From my thoughts and prayers being, well, my, my granddaughter to my daughter. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it, you know, still was very sad. Sure. Okay. So the story continues. So she's on ECMO. Everything looks terrible on that Friday. And then the, and I am texting two or three times a day with my daughter um, throughout this whole thing. Every day, every day. Mm-hmm. Well, she started saying, well, they they on Monday. She says, they're talking about taking her off of ECMO and I'm, it totally didn't make sense to (laughs) me. Yeah. And to this day, I still believe somewhere in there was a miracle that the Lord afforded us Mm -hmm. because on the Wednesday following that Friday, the physician came in and and there was a a funny little thing that had happened, which told him she was a real fighter. Uh Like I think (laughs) something like his stethoscope bumped her or bonked her on the head or something. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know. It was something because you know, she's heavily sedated. At this right. Point. Yeah. And he's, you know what? She's a fighter. She's going to be okay. Let's take her off of ECMO. What? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like a miracle. They mm-hmm. took her off of ECMO and she responded perfectly. Of course, she's int- intubated at this point, too. Sure. And I don't know if she, yeah, she was intubated. Right. So, so she,
0: she's gone off the heart lung machine, you know, basically, but she's still ha- on a ventilator. On a ventilator. That's what, you know, being yes. intubated means. Yes.
1: Yeah. Right. So she's still on the ventilator. And she passed all of that with flying colors. And that was the first the first miracle, I would say, among mm-hmm. many that were to come in the following weeks. So then I'd say it was just a process of really starting to heal. And um, I think it was about a week or two after that, my daughter and I were talking on the phone. We didn't talk on the phone very often. We were mostly texted because it's just... It was a difficult time. She's in the hospital, staying there, traveling back and forth. Um, but I remember very clearly standing in my office and she and I, and she telling me how well Rosie was doing off of ECMO. And she and I both began crying and realized she's going to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment, both of us let ourselves believe and know that she was going to live Right. after all the preparation of mm-hmm. she may die. Sure she was going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really awesome. You know, we're still a long way of her getting home from the hospital. Mm-hmm. However, and we knew it was going to be a long, mm-hmm. a long haul. Um, but there was one miracle after another. And within, let's see, yeah, time all runs together for me on this because the, the whole stay ended up being 110 days is how long that Rosie was in almost a third of a year. Yeah. In in the PICU or she was in PICU pediatric ICU during the ECMO after she was off ECMO. She was still in the PICU for quite some time before they moved her to the NICU. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: So while she was in the PICU, this is another one of those amazing miracles. So they, they, she's on oxygen, obviously she's going to need to be on oxygen. Um, She was on a CPAP and the CPAP eventually we just went with the cannula and the Mm -hmm. oxygen. Um, So the next miracle happened where they needed to clean her, her cannula. She was already just on plain oxygen, Mm -hmm. no pressure to put it into her lungs anymore. And they have to clean it. So they took all the tubes off her face, you know, her feeding tube, Mm -hmm. her breathing tube. And you know what, Megan? She did just fine with room air. Mm. Accidentally. (laughs) Unbeknownst. Right. No one saw it coming. Uh Uh-huh second miracle beautiful that she just with flying colors and so they put the feeding tube back in um, but she went on room air at that point mm-hmm. which was amazing yeah. you know that was such a great miracle and uh, there was just this really long stretch um, the last few weeks of her being in the neonatal ICU she joined the feeder grower group uh-huh. yeah. uh, to just try <sighs> and get bigger Um, mm-hmm. To learn how to bottle feed, sure, which never came to fruition. She, mm. they tried so many different things, um, and it—they it, all failed. Uh-huh. And so they had to make the decision to go ahead and put her on a, a gastric tube, a feeding uh-huh. tube, sure. to be able to get her home. And so there was like a couple of weeks from the time the tube was inserted till she could actually come home. And yeah, so she's been home now for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Only been home two weeks with a feeding tube, um, and that's been its own challenge. But well, we I also not.
0: remember before she came home, like that there was a period of time where the breathing and everything was going okay, but they had to get her off of the sedation. And I remember oh, that my. was kind of a that tough was thing so for you.
1: Hard, yeah. Well, to, to give, and you could probably speak into this too. So to be on ECMO, not only are you sedated, but you're on paralytic drugs. Mm-hmm. So my granddaughter had been on heavy doses of morphine from the moment that she arrived to this world. And they started weaning her off of morphine and then they use methadone, methadone. to, to wean her off of morphine. Right. And that was another thing that we didn't know in the beginning that, that, that we didn't know that she couldn't leave the hospital on those meds, that she had to be weaned off of them before she could leave. And that was another reason for the uh, the extended stay.
0: Right. I, I just, you know, I think sometimes people can have this response like, uh, my baby's addicted to drugs. You know, that's kind of like a really tough thing because sometimes what happens is we, you get so focused on the primary problem like we need to get this baby able to breathe and the things that you have to do in order to make that happen in, an, in any other circumstance would be absolutely extraordinary like you right. would never think to do to a baby like you know just put them basically addict them to a narcotic. Yes. But it's necessary. And then so then when you get out of that crisis period of and now the lungs are working you're you're not done because no. now <laughs> you need to undo what you had to do right. in order to make that thing yeah. happen. And so did that feel at that point as sort of like wow, I can't believe
1: that it there's still more we have to deal with, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, no, I'm glad you're saying that because I'm, I'm moving my progression from the space in between of the nothingness and the void of, of not knowing how to pray to giving her to the Lord and just living in his permissive will and then moving even more forward to the hope of complete healing. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt the Lord calling me into that spot. And so I, in my prayers, we not only just praying for complete healing of her lungs and to be rid of and have no residual effects from the narcotics, that I was actually thinking the Lord already in advance mm-hmm. for her complete healing. Right. Like that's where he took me to say, mm-hmm. No, just in my name, give thanks to God that she's completely and perfectly healed. And so, mm-hmm. you know, once we knew she was gonna live, that became my prayer that there be no long term residual effects sure. of her, you know, the lungs, the heart, um, the narcotics, everything mm-hmm. like that, which kind of leads me to one of the next miracles. <laughs> sure. Okay. So the room air miracle was amazing. She's right. off of oxygen. She's still in the hospital. Um, yeah, I remember you texting me. She's on room air. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. awesome. It was, God, it was awesome. like, again, yeah. so unexpected. Right. It was just the Lord that did that. Um, but upon... So they had told her earlier on, my daughter, they told her she's going to have chronic lung damage. She's mm-hmm. going to be a chronic lung condition. Well, before, a couple of weeks before release of the hospital, they just said, oh, by the way, she has no lasting effects from this. Hmm. She has no chronic lung damage. And one of the things I did, actually, the very, very, very first miracle was at, was getting off the ECMO. But the second one was the MRI they did on her brain to see if there was any damage from the lack of oxygen. Yeah, that's always a concern, certainly. Oh my gosh, that was a huge concern for this type of birth injury. Mm -hmm. And it came back perfectly healthy and normal, Um, which was a miracle. It was absolutely absolutely a miracle. So. As you can see, Megan... The not yet. Yes. Yeah. And God telling me, I've got her. Mm-hmm. Release her to me. Right? So these other things that happened, happened since he told me that through the Spirit. Right. And yeah. he kept reassuring me through these little miracles over and over again that he was right there caring for her.
0: Yeah. And it brings to mind, you know, something that I mentioned when I told my testimony about the gift, receiving the gift of tongues, that sometimes... When we're praying for something that is good and holy, but we're clinging to it with a sense that we need it. To desperation. Be that yeah, there's a yeah. desperation or there's just this sense of I know what I need and I need this in order to be OK, feel fulfilled,
1: whatever it is, whatever your thing you think you need it for. Well, Let me interrupt you there a second, because I explain it to many people like if you are at a point of white knuckling something that you really want, it's probably not in God's will
0: but what I was about to say is it may actually be in God's will, but he can't give it to you in that place. Mm. And so when we surrender that, the sense that we need it to happen, he's actually can sometimes be free to give it to us because you know, what I was saying in the last one is he'll never give us something that will confirm us in a lie. And so if we would have persisted in the lie that I need it, When he gave it to us then in that place of thinking we needed it, then it wouldn't have really blessed us the way that he wants to bless us. But when we relinquish the idea, I have to have it, then he can come in and be like, well, I want it for you, yeah, but I couldn't give it to you there and have it be healthy for you.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. Because I kept saying, don't you want this, Lord? Don't you want this? This is what we want. This is a good, this is life, you know?
0: Right. And now he's kind of saying, yeah, I wanted it all along, but- it needed to be in the right way, in the right time.
1: In the right timing, for sure. Yeah.
0: So yeah. tell us, you know, what it was like for you to hold Rosie for the first time. Oh, my
1: gosh. Um, it was very, very emotional, to say the least. Um, so I go to visit the hospital, and she's at the feeder growing stage, and she's, she's pretty healthy. Um, she still has lots of... Um, wires attached Mm -hmm. to her because she's on the monitors for her lung uh, respiration pulse and everything so you had to really navigate all the wires but I actually have a picture of me um, holding her and rocking her to sleep standing up one day Mm -hmm. while we were in the hospital um, which was the first time I got to hold her so I do actually have a, a picture of that but it was it was just this gratitude to God in that affirmation of when he spoke to me well, through the spirit saying, I've got her mm-hmm. and then holding her at that moment and knowing, yes, I won't doubt you, Lord. You know, I don't doubt you that he, you know, he could have taken her home. That might've been in his will, like it was for my sister to take her husband mm-hmm. home. Um, but that wasn't his plan. And again, more trust and just that, I don't know, it was almost in a sense of like, you just a lot, a deep sense of gratitude And Thanksgiving is what he was doing in Rosie's life and in my daughter's life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's kind of like not done yet kind of thing, which we're still not done yet. (laughs) And and what's yet? What's Um, left? What is left? Well, uh, so, but let me do one miracle and I'll go. Oh, uh, let's not miss the miracles. You can't miss the miracles. So they said, oh, by the way, she is no longer has pulmonary hypertension, too. So she's good with that. You don't even need to go to the pulmonologist. Wow. You don't need to follow up with the pulmonologist. She's good and just incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, so she did have the G-tube um, inserted. So she sure. still has the feeding tube to get her to go home because through all the trial and error, they do lose the yeah. ability to suckle and so forth. Yeah. Um, so she came home with a feeding tube and she's been home for two weeks now. Um, mm-hmm. And she's transitioning to the bottle fairly well. Oh, good. Um, but that, yeah, fairly well. Mm-hmm. We're we're praying that she may transition to the breast too, which mm-hmm. would be um, the hope and desire of my daughter. But she's gotten to that point where she just desires God's, God's will for mm-hmm. what's best for Rosie. And, right. uh, yeah. you know, you and I can look at this and go... Surely that's in God's will to for mm-hmm. her to be able to breastfeed her child and that bonding that that she you know mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters she, my daughter did not get to hold her her child for about eight weeks yeah that's really hard it's really tough yeah so there's lots of trauma um, and sadness there but she's home and she's doing very well now praise um, God yes and so we look forward to the day where she can have that. G tube removed and just be the healthy baby girl that she appears mm-hmm. to be. I mean, she's just a walking miracle. Mm-hmm. Walking, not walking yet. She's no. a little young for that, but she's a happy <laughs> a living baby, miracle. A living miracle. Uh-huh. She's a very happy, um, smiley. She smiles so easily and just a joy to anyone who mm-hmm. who um, is around her.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's just and to think, you know,
0: to the there were those places and times and throughout the journey where, you know, there was a real sense of that that may never happen, that she may never come home to then be living in that reality. I I would imagine there's probably moments where you just have to like pinch yourself to believe that it's actually real and that she's not still in the hospital and that you don't have to carry that burden anymore of, you know, the constant, you know, lack of knowledge of is, is she going to make it? And how does it feel to kind of be on the other side of that? And do you feel like you've processed the whole experience or that there's still going to be more uh, like sort of processing that needs to be done as far as how that all impacted you? Yeah.
1: I, I believe there's a still a lot of processing. So, mm-hmm. so while let, let's look at it this way in the beginning, we're experiencing all this temporal trauma and then you start to have the the simultaneous spiritual development that the trauma is um encouraging let's say that mm. way right okay so now as the temporal um issues as the temporal difficulties start to get smaller my mind is turning to the spiritual issues that i mean good holy issues of growing closer to Christ mm-hmm. for both me and my daughter her husband and Rosie and praying into that that all the good that has come from this trauma will blossom so there's a part of me that says okay well are we going to go back to baseline or are we going to grow in faith here mm-hmm. together right. you know so i feel like you know the temporal is waning but the spiritual is still growing and uh-huh. has a lot of room for just that development. I mean, we always do. I mean, as long as we're breathing, we're going to have room for, for that spiritual development. And I'm, I'm praying into that for not only myself, but primarily for my daughter and her family. Mm-hmm. I know also that
0: sometimes when people have experiences of profound healings, like sometimes there can be this sort of fear in the background that it like won't last. Like, Maybe it's something else is going to come up or maybe, you know, they said that she was fine, but then they're going to find out, oh, no, actually, she's developmentally delayed or something. Is there any of that in you? Are you just completely feeling like it's all good and I'm not there? are No worries.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you put it that way, too. So. There was, um, a much a part of this process too, was me thinking she was going to be a special needs baby. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming to the place of thinking, well, she may be a special needs baby. And I was really okay with that because every family I've ever known that have a, have a special needs child it just felt like it was just, yes, it's hard, but it was such a great big blessing. Right. So I was prepared for that blessing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, But even that's like kind of vanishing too. As far as we know, um, I think dealing with that kind of trauma that my kids have been through um, going into the future, there's still like a lot of fear about like, well, obviously she doesn't want to put her in daycare. She doesn't know how she's going to react to her first cold. Right. Uh, right. There's still that higher level of protection because Mm -hmm. her health, um, having extensive medical history. You know, you look at her now and you'd never know it. Um, But, yeah, she still has her little battle wound of her ECMO Mm -hmm. scar. You know, it's a big jugular scar. Sure. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and you might also find that, you know, the next pregnancy in the family, you might start, you know, there could be some feelings of, oh, is this going to happen again? Or maybe a a sense of hypervigilance, you know, about certain things. It could, you know, so you know how it goes sometimes with these things like. You think you're over it, but then there's something that triggers it, right? And so...
1: I think it'll be more about Rosie's health in the mm -hmm. future. My daughter um, was super prepared for what come what may. Obviously, nothing prepared her for what actually did happen. Right. Um, But she learned a lot through that process. We all did to know oftentimes the woman cannot abdicate for herself in those kind of situations because of just the pain of labor and everything like that. Mm. So um, one of the things we learned too was to have another advocate for you. And because it was during COVID times, we couldn't have an advocate there. Um, And the kids didn't really know. Mm. um, But um, my daughter's father-in-law is a physician and my other daughter is a midwife. So either one of them could be a, a wonderful advocate of that time um, for the mother's health, which is, I think, something that's very much needed these days.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, then that actually brings up another question that I have. Um, from what you described, it sounds like, you know, maybe some things weren't done right, that some things were left longer than they should have and, yeah. you know, and everything. And is there within you or your daughter, any kind of anger or sort of feelings of this didn't have to happen and you know, that kind of thing. Cause that can be, sometimes those feelings can be really hard to deal with. Yeah. Like even when you have the good outcome, there's still this sense of an error was made and it's, you know, right. this it shouldn't it's have true. happened. Right, you know? right.
1: Well, I, and um, the first weekend we were allowed to go see Rosie before we could hold her. Um, My son-in-law's parents were there and I just said, he, he His dad is a physician and we had this conversation in the waiting room and he was saying, I'm just having the hardest time forgiving that nurse Mm -hmm. in my heart. She didn't see a physician. We don't know everything that really happened, but there is, there's a lot of that. I personally don't have the anger just because I saw it as God's permissive will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody would have desired this horrible outcome for anyone. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel, I don't know if merciful is the right way. I think there are consequences that need to happen for this action. Sure. Um, but that's not up to me and mm-hmm. I can just pray the situation, but, and my daughter doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about that because she's too focused on just getting Rosie healthy. Mm-hmm. So That'll be another chapter to see how that goes in the future. Mm -hmm. But yes, you're right. I don't know if my biggest concern is the trauma my kids have gone through and how to process that psychologically and mentally. So there's not it doesn't stay with them. right?
0: Yeah. It reminds me of like uh, a couple episodes ago, you know, we were talking about feelings and how feelings aren't sinful, but what we do with them can be you know and so it's always really important when you have circumstances that lead to really strong emotions really strong difficult emotions that w- you deal with those emotions and you look at them and you acknowledge them and then make choices about where to go with them that are holy Right. Because to get caught up in things like anger or, you know, just blame, blame and, and, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know, all that sort of thing. It's not going to lead to that place of peace, you know, that the Lord wants for us. But but you don't get there, that place of peace by ignoring those feelings either. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to, I think, allow people you know, who have experienced things that are really traumatic, the space to just really talk about really what they felt and, and to, you know, try to come to a place of how they're going to move forward, having experienced those feelings and maybe continuing to experience those feelings. Well, well, I thank you for sharing with us your Mm, feelings and your, and your experience, Pam. I will say, I'm sorry that you had to go through this, but I also know that the Lord will bring right. really great opportunities for you to continue to glorify him in it right. and through it. So. Well,
1: well, the one thing I want to wrap up with this, which is to me the real fruit of, of uh, uh, the first one I can imagine the fruit of this experience was my brothers and sisters, the Lord always answers our prayers, but sometimes the answer is no or not yet. I got the no for a healthy delivery, and I got a not yet for a healthy baby, and we have to be okay with God's will on that and know that that's part of it. And that, to me, is a part of being just an obedient daughter of the, of the King, mm-hmm. is to, to rest in His goodness, not, not being able to feel it or know it at the time.
0: Right, and yeah, really be rooted in that trust that He is good, mm-hmm. even when we can't feel His goodness. Amen.
1: Well, until next time, let's stay united in prayer. God bless.
0: God bless.